Hello, and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle, and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com, as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can also check us out wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, Good Pods. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, I hope you enjoyed what we have uh, in store for you with the Atlanta Film Festival. That There's a lot more audio to... Sharon, I can't wait to share it all with you. That's going to be just on the uh, stream or the YouTube channel. You can also check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. As per usual, I've got short film blocks I review. I've got um, Q&A excerpts that I share, as well as the usual things such as first-time new watch reviews, exclusive movie reviews, as well as life soundtrack and leaving the collection. That's at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Today's episode is part of my coverage of the Atlanta Film Festival. It is one of the first interviews that I did as part of my coverage for the film festival. And it is, this film is called Quantum Cowboys. It played the first Saturday of the Atlanta Film Festival. It is an animated sci-fi western and if that combination interests you i definitely hope you are able to check it out whether it's at any future festival that has or when it does get released i had the pleasure to talk to the film's uh director jeff marslett as well as his producer melody sisk at the film festival and we had a long and uh really fascinating conversation about the process of making this movie about filmmaking in general about animation and i hope you enjoy listening to it it was a lot of fun to record so thank you very much for joining me today and i'm i'm glad we were able to set this up to get together because of the fact that i i for some well, I, I know the reasons why I was drawn to watch Quam Cowboys before the festival because of the fact that I'm I'm always fascinated by the way animation is used to tell stories, and then I I am a science fiction person, so yeah. I I enjoy oh, yeah. I enjoy that aspect of it. Um, before we get uh, too deep into it, though, uh, what what did both of you have to do on the uh, project? What didn't I do is really, uh, <laughs> yes. that would be the easier answer. This project uh, basically just came right out of Jeff into yeah. the world. <laughs> I mean, before I was a filmmaker, I was a physicist uh, for a little while, okay. or a scientist. I guess right? I guess it's still physics. I, I, worked I call you an astrophysicist. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I studied quantum physics, and I studied these things in college, and then whenever it came time to work, I did what was closer to engineering than physics, to be honest. But um, but this has always been a passion of mine in thinking about these things. So th- this movie's full of ideas that I had had since you know, 20, 30 years ago. But then I sat down and Hal Gelb co-wrote it with me. He and I worked on the ideas down in Tucson for really several years of taking notes, and I eventually turned that all into a screenplay that was semi-shootable. Um, but, uh, so I wrote that and then obviously directed it and helped produce it. And did a lot of casting, which also Melody helped me with casting as well. Um, and then I acted as a role in it, and I was also the lead animator on it. So that's what so I yeah, did. just a little bit of everything. Yeah. So there was no part of this film I did. There, there is literally not a single frame of the movie I didn't touch. Personally. Absolutely, yeah. mm-hmm. which is beautiful. Um, and like, luckily, you had some students to help with some of that rotoscoping in the pandemic when it was really tough to get anybody to work it on anything. It was very hard because the idea was to get through the animation. The idea was to hire about fifty animators and bring them all into one space and work together because it's so how one animation is going to move to the next. What's going on is such a complex process, and really, I mean, probably even right now, I'm the only one who actually knows why things changed, where they changed, and what yeah. the, what the roadmap was. And then COVID came, so. 
the animators were never in the same room, so I had to also be the, the connective tissue that helped communicate between animators in Japan and in South America and in There's LA. There's no post-supervisor that can do that work. I yeah. mean, it has the intimate work yeah. that is the creator, you know, yeah. so, um, so and to was, answer your question, I'm a, I produced. Yes, and, yeah, and Melody produced and helped with casting, I think, we did. I mean, yeah, which no, is a producer thing. Which I do a lot on indies, honestly. I think I'm a little... Um, well, we can get into that in a bit. Yeah. But, uh, but the casting process for me is often something I'm pretty hands-on with. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, your uh, your background. Were you always uh, interested in filmmaking, even while you were uh, yeah. in science? Yeah, I mean, I, I took a circuitous path, but I... Uh, I went to high school with Hungarian monks. I studied a lot of weird stuff. Uh, I was going to go to film school. Uh... I was under the misconception that college was all about learning. I went out to USC <laughs> film school directly from high school, and I crashed into several like glass doors that I couldn't even see. It was like I made a mistake, and I left there, transferred to Columbia, and then they wouldn't give me any financial aid, and I was poor, and then I, a week later I couldn't pay my tuition, and I went to work the night shift at Target. Right. And I was somewhat disillusioned with the path of filmmaking and those things, and I went back to school, studied ancient Greek and sciences and then went into physics for a while and then came back to filmmaking. So take that for what it is. I'm, an, I'm kind of a nut. That's, that's, that's quite a journey. Um, <laughs> this film is very neat. Don't you feel that, though? This, this film, film is like... It, it makes, it's so yeah. infused it, with all of yeah, that. I yeah, I mean, between filmmaking and science, it's like, I, it, it makes sense that you would find figure out a story to combine those two elements. And I think one of the... I mean, certainly live-action filmmaking is filmmaking, but I, I think with with animation, you're certainly... I, I think you're certainly much more involved with telling a story from a visual standpoint, from an imagination standpoint, than sometimes even live-action. I, I agree. You know, I think that with animation, you are given the challenge but also the freedom to reinvent the wheel and as much as I love like a Pixar film or things the animation I like the best is wild stuff where people say I have a vision of what this could look like and how the visuals could actually be used to tell the story mm-hmm. now how do I create that instead of just knowing what your constraints are before you go in so I absolutely agree I mean I think in cinema I wanted to make a movie that better reflects the theories of many the many worlds theory that Hugh Everett and Wheeler we're talking about in the 70s and compared to what we get in the multiverse in a lot of other films. The multiverse is fun, but scientifically, everything ever all runs or Spider-Man or yeah. Doctor Strange are not accurate. They're, they're yeah. an excuse to have 10 Spider-Mans. <laughs> and, you know, the real idea behind multiple universes is that multiple conflicting realities do exist at the same time, but once observed or coming into contact, they actually extinguish each other and there really is only one. So there's not these 10 realities. Like, the ideas are a little different than what we get, and I wanted to present that. And my way of doing that was to say, you don't watch ten Spider-Mans in my film or ten Lily Gladstones. Instead, what you watch in this film is one Lily Gladstone story, but I try to take the audience and move them into ten different universes, or in this case, about fifteen. But I move the audience into fifteen different universes to look at it. And animation let me say, I'm going to totally change the viewing experience when you move to the different universe instead of trying to do it the other way. And you yeah. couldn't do that with live action. No. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Who are some of the uh, animators or studios that most inspire you? Oh, there, there, I mean, there are so many. I mean, one thing that was not, you know, I think some of the big ones from being a kid, um, The Animated Hobbit was one of my favorite films, and I... Sorry, Peter Jackson, but I still think that that version of The Hobbit was better <laughs> oh, than his version magical, of The Hobbit. Isn't it? Um, you know, and captured the book, and then The Lord of the Rings, which some of the problems with the rotoscoping and that, you know, was amazing to see. You know, films like Wizards, um, more recent stuff like um, Persepolis, um, and the reason I cite some of those is those are really films where I think they used the Nazguls are so scary in that Lord of the Rings because the way they're somewhere between live action and animation. Yeah. Persepolis works because the comic book idea is used in the storytelling. So I think the ones that inspired me most weren't necessarily because the styles matched my film, but they were things where the animation itself was so integral to how the world can exist. And those really inspired me. So similarly, I'm going to mispronounce this. It's a movie no one's seen, so it's, no one's going to get on to me for mispronouncing it. <laughs> my best attempt is going to be Chudalitavundi, which was a South Indian movie made in Telugu that I just saw in the theaters. 
in a language I don't speak with no subtitles, and it blew me away because the storytelling just was crazy and weird visual. And so I think my visuals in many ways were inspired by saying, I'm okay if someone doesn't understand every moment of this. I know it's intentional and not random. Hopefully they'll get that, but I wanted to put that. So movies that used animation in that way really inspired me. When, when it came to writing this story, doing this story, what was it about the Old West that made that part so interesting for the setting as a post of modern day? Yeah, that's a great question. And one, not everyone necessarily, they're just like, they just take for granted a Western. But one of the reasons is, you know, that's where I grew up and was surrounded by. And one of the you ideas... You didn't grow up in the Old West, to be clear. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm old. I'm old, but I'm not that old. Uh, it's but, not a vampire. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's this idea that one of the things I wanted to say with this film, too, is that we looked at the way physics... Physics is actually this beautiful dance where different realities conflict. You observe, one becomes reality. I would argue the same thing is true about history, and I would argue that art, and that's one of the things I tried to do in this film, is art is how we as humans literally create history, because we don't... Day by day, we don't go back in time and, and actually present history. We have books, we have conversations, we have photographs, we have paintings, and music and that creates our version of history but oddly enough what that really is is every time anything happens everyone involved in that moment actually has a different version of history we all find a way to create art to reflect what we thought history was that art competes until one piece of art is chosen to be reality and it extinguishes the other pieces of art and we make history which I think non-coincidentally is the same way physics works so I also chose the western both because it was something that growing up in the west I grew up, you know, I think the last name Nguyen, like the Vietnamese last name, was the number one last name in my, you know, middle school in semi-rural Texas. It's not what people think of. They don't, when they hear Texas, they don't think that's who you're surrounded by. Yeah. So one thing I want to do is reflect the, the West that I grew up in, which is crazy diverse. I could be wrong, but I think I'm correct on this. I think Houston, Texas is still the most diverse city in the country. It's not New York. So yeah. the West isn't necessarily this John Wayne world, but I think that as much as I love you know, Sergio Leone films, I don't actually love John Wayne films, but whatever. The, <laughs> these icons of the West have replaced, when you say to someone, the American West, they hear the word Texas, they see an image of Arizona, and they see a guy from California who flew to, exactly. to, to southern Spain yeah. to make a movie for Italians, and they think that's the American West, and they hear yeah. Sergio Leone music. Yeah. And you're like, that's a really cool thing, but it's very far from the it's reality. It's not relevant to yeah. the reality <laughs> But it's all. replaced yeah. it for people, and now that's what we think of as the West. And to me, there's, no, there's nothing that expresses my idea that art replaces past for what we accept as history than the American Western. We have replaced history with the idea of the American Western. So one of the things I wanted to do, and one of the reasons I think Lily Gladstone really enjoyed doing this, is I did want to, a phrase, maybe it's overused, but decolonize our memories of the West a little bit with this and say, you know what the yeah. West is? The West is a million different conflicting experiences and it's not just a Sergio Leone movie. It's all these other things. Yeah. And I hope that someone comes out of this and goes, wow, oh yeah, the West is all of these different things. And that was kind of, we wanted to take an icon and not contradict it, but break it apart and say it's so much more. Well, that's the thing that is so striking about the movie to me is that you have the... I guess you could technically consider it science fiction because it is send the old yeah. west, the the science aspect of it, the physics, phys, physical aspect of it. But it very much you're very much staying true. You're very much owning owning in to the tropes of classical yep, west. Exactly, and I I think that's one of the things that's just absolutely wonderful about the film is. The fact that both aspects of that story, the story exists without really bumping, without taking, without taking focus off of the other. Yeah. And I, I really love that. Thank you. I, I appreciate it because that was an important thing for us. It has these aspects and you don't want to just make... You don't want to make just the Western element a sideshow to the science fiction. You don't want to make the science fiction a sideshow to the Western. They're all... I don't want to make a new genre and say this is a genre that explores all those places. And I, you know, I, I love that you have the uh, you have the filmmakers who you occasionally see throughout. Yeah. Almost, almost breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. 
yep. large aspect, but they also kind of, it almost feels like, in a way, they're sort of the Greek chorus of yep. the whole thing. They're telling the story, they're, they're branching past yep. and present. And I, that, I, I love the different, the different ways everything plays into this film. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you know, I, one of the things I love is, again, I love the idea that truths can be 100% conflicting and both still true. You know, just because something contradicts something else doesn't mean they're not both true. It just means only one's going to be true after they meet. And that's one of the things I want to do with this film is, you know, we have the character of memory. We have the character of inspiration. We have the film crew. And in this film, I think, to understand it, they're sort of outside of this. But they do kind of break the fourth wall because if we do get to make the sequels, as you start to realize they're also actually characters in this world. They are really inhabiting this world with them and other aspects of this. But I really wanted to make this a film where we don't, in film one, answer questions. We don't answer who Colfax and DePew are yet. Yeah. Like, we hint at it, but it's not answered. We don't answer who memory is yet. Mm-hmm. And as we move on, we don't answer what, you know, Lily Gladstone's character, Lindy, is really doing yet. And I... The movies I love are ones I watch eight times and I learn something new. And then I yeah. watch the sequel and I'm like, I totally misunderstood that film the first time. And I really... <laughs> Commercially, it's a terrible idea to make that film, but I hope I made that film nonetheless. That this yeah. is that this is an onion that people will get to peel, and then they'll watch the sequel if we ever really get to make it, and then they'll go back and they'll go, "Wait a minute, I totally am re-envisioning Colfax and DePew now. I'm totally re-envisioning, you know, Frank and Bruno now." And yeah. So, you you mentioned you you mentioned earlier that how how long has this been in production? Because you mentioned that the animation was going on during. Yeah. COVID. Yeah, we shot in 2019. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. We, you know, it, we really got some curveballs there, as the whole world did. But we shot in October, November of 20 of 2019 with a plan of finishing over the course of about a year, which became impossible once COVID happened. And we also ran into the issue that the character that Patrick Page plays now of memory, which he did an exceptional job, was Anna Karina, the French New Wave icon. And... Um, you know, we were going to go to Paris and shoot her, and tragically, you know, she passed away. So we shot a little bit with her in like rehearsal stuff. Yeah. And then she passed away before we finished shooting her character. But we also wanted to honor her with still this is her, you know, last role. And again, one of the one of the reasons I make films is you know Anna Karenina's films. And so we kept her, and I had to recast. And then that meant going to New York in the middle of the pandemic and getting you know you follow the protocols and shooting with Patrick and then animating without being around people. And then I would drive to Tucson and how and I would work on the soundtrack. So it. We started in 2019 with an intent to finish in 2020, maybe 2021, and it really took until, you know, June of 2022 because I was animating work on this till 4 a.m. He was truly six days up, a week. I mean, he's teaching full time as well, and yeah. like up all night doing the Every rotoscope night work and animation work to the point. I mean, I would get these amazing screenshots of Jeff just <laughs> looking like a. Crazed wild man. Oh yeah, my his beard and hair Lauren, were growing down to here. And I would message computer. his partner Lauren and be like, "Does like does he eat? <laughs> Do we need to send help?" No, I saw, you know, I, Fat Face is in the film. My cat, who, recently who I'm obsessed with, but I my, you know, the true love of my life, that cat. Lauren wouldn't mind saying that because she knows Lauren Fat Face. Was, but you know, Fat Face really made this movie with me. Fat Face appreciated as cats do the fact I was up till I gave myself. I would have to teach by about 9 a.m., so I was like, you need to go to bed before the sun comes up. But I would work, Fat Face and I would sit up working on this movie really at least five to six days a week for two years straight until 4.30 or 5 in the morning, every single... And COVID meant we weren't going other places, so I was was sitting in that chair for 12-hour shifts every single day. It's a good thing Lauren likes privacy and reads. (laughs) And it it kept Fat Face from waking her up in the middle of the night, because Fat Face was like... Me and Dad are watching. We're making a movie in the middle of the night. This is great. I mean, Fat Face is your perfect actor. Huge head, tiny body. Yeah. You know, she's very, I, very special. I love that animal. we play. You know, we play this film but in you Paris. See, Fat Face is in the film. Yeah. Right? She's the cat. Yeah, she's and, the cat. Yeah. And I love that. Of course, cat. people that knew Fat Face gave her a round of applause, but I'd be like in Paris and she would get a bigger round of applause than David Arquette. And I was like, <laughs> yes. It did warm my heart that Fat Face is still entertaining audiences. So. Though I think we have a really special David Arquette performance, actually. I, yeah, I, I, I really do enjoy their characters yeah. play. Yeah, it, it's it's really fun because of the fact that you don't necessarily think of them as the antagonists. It's the first, but really they're they're so instrumental to the entire thing. Yeah. yeah. In in the I way. mean, I don't believe there are. I mean, probably there aren't in real life a few, but I really don't 
I've never been excited by bad guys, by someone who just right. does crazy bad things because they're bad. So I like to think of them as really the protagonists in a different film, which if we get to make the sequel, the sequel, the, the second one of these, at least it's, as it's written in my screenplay, is called Colfax and Depute, and it's about how they got where they are. Okay. So and both of them are thrilled to do it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're ready to, to come sign back up, and do it know, again because they want they is. want to go and explore that. That I mean, they're buddy villains, and yeah. we want to see what these buddy. How did the buddy villains get so screwed up? And that's you know, it's the two of them. And strangely enough, they're sort of the heroes of that. And Gary Farmer's kind of the bad guy. You know who? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's great. I hope we get to make that. Uh, certainly. When when it came to because of the fact that your animated the live action. Um, were there any cases, especially during COVID, where once you started to do the animation, that you came up to points where it's go, oh, I've got to get, I've got to get this scene over. Or oh. there was some, or yeah. was something about that scene that even even in live action wasn't necessarily working. What was the logistics? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people ask, like, how much of the film does have, you know, reference footage existing? And the answer is most of the film, but even in some of the rotoscoping, there are places that have to be fully fabricated from not having footage to draw over, and it's tough, and there's you, you, you just always hit those things, and there was really no way in COVID to get people back onto a set so that would usually just get punted back to me. So if there was ever errors like that, it was like, okay, Jeff, you've got to sit in the room and just draw pictures until this works. Yeah. Right. I mean, good thing that Jeff has that talent. Yeah. But not all filmmakers have the ability to do that, obviously. It's a really special mix of talents that he has. But he's a producer's dream because he can solve his own problems. Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> this movie wouldn't have been made on, you know, the low budget it's made on if the director had to keep hiring people. No, right. there would have been right. there would have been you know another no million dollars tacked onto your budget of trying to get people to do this. Absolutely, yeah. Again, animation can raise your production values, but you're going to pay for it in you know emotional abuse to yourself. And I just <laughs> took that, I took that beating myself. I'm working with another director right now on a film that um, I actually I haven't sent you the deck where you should look at. You're going to be cra- it's amazing. Um, it's this wild mushroom <laughs> movie with uh, with stop motion Excellent. sequences, and the director makes the stop motion yeah. work, and is actually already making these really cool ant puppets and fascinating stuff. And it's the way we're dealing with like yeah. mushroom trips. Yeah. So when yeah. they go into the psychedelic space, and again, the way the animation art. can make you see so things cool. that you otherwise would. Yeah, yeah, totally changes, and honestly, even changes the way you think about dialogue too. And we're doing some like there'll be there's some interaction between. Um, the the stop motion and the and the live actor it's gonna it's it's and it's so I mean I would probably wouldn't have been as drawn to that project but if you just I had come out of this come out of this <laughs> I was like oh I get it I know how to do this now you know yeah I'm in I'm in it made me a it made me a different kind of fan of animation and really understand like it as from as an art film from a very like cinematic art point of view it's been a fun process so you've already talked about hopefully being able to sequels to this movie. Mm-hmm. Where is where's this movie at in terms of its festival run, in terms of the potential release? Yeah, so we're you know, we're on the the latter side of the of the festival run. We premiered at Annecy back in June and I think we're somewhere in the high forties for total festivals now. Um, and, we'll probably and Jeff has been at every one basically. Most of them, yeah. I, I, anytime which is I can amazing. go I've gone tried to support it because I I know it's very a few directors film. can do that. Yeah. yeah. And it help, but it helps if you're there to explain. The only, I don't mind if people don't like the film. I don't mind if people say like, "Hey, I don't think Jeff was a clear storyteller in this, or this isn't compelling, or I didn't enjoy it." The only thing that ever kind of sticks in my side is when people are like, they come out of the film and they're like, "This film was totally random and didn't make any sense." And I'm like, "Well, that's actually kind of on you as the viewer, because the one thing I can say, I can promise, I can't promise this movie is great, but I can promise it isn't random." That. Even the sheer yeah. animation had to be thought out before we even shot. There, yeah, there's nothing there, random about there it. There is a giant flow chart. And if you watch this film five times with me and I'll explain it to you, you'll realize you still might not like it, but it's not random. That's, right. That one's right. the only one that I say is invalid. Yeah. It's not a random film. It's, it's actually maybe overly thought out um, <laughs> and, you know, and these, these things. So, I mean, um, it is one of those films, though. Every time you, you take it in, you're going to have a totally different yeah. experience yeah. of it. I think you see a different story. You pick up a different thing. And that's what's exciting about it. I think Lauren might be the only 
Lawrence explored it about as much as a person can, I imagine, as, yeah. as you have. She but, didn't even watch it till Tallgrass. As much as I were, she never watched it. Really? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I feel she like she basically now, lived inside of it. Yeah. There's me, and I've watched it a million times. But yeah. John Way, who was almost joining us today, he might be the person who's watched it the second most. Yeah. Because I think he's. As a, as a filmmaker, I'm very flattered by the fact that, like, John has sat through it at festivals, like, 20 times. Lily Gladstone, in the teens, she's watched it... Yeah. Most time an actor watches their film two or three times, and they get a drink during the screenings yeah. at later festivals. Yeah, but yeah, my yeah. cast no, has never skipped a screening. When they're yeah. with me, they just watch it and watch it and watch they it. And they're like, I remember I was with Lily somewhere, and I was like, you don't want to get dinner? She's like, no, I want to watch it again. I'm like, it does warm your heart that your cast keeps seeing new things. So they're like, I want to jump back. I even helped make this, and I want to jump back in and figure out what's going on. Yeah. So I mean, it was a wonderful, warm experience, the filmmaking process. Like, the on-set process was fantastic. Every, the, the cast loved each other. They were, you know, and it, I say warm. It was cold as hell. <laughs> I mean, there's a scene where Kyle was wiping his sweat. You see the sun. He's literally standing in mid-calf snow. deep snow. Yeah. And it's like, and we're spraying. We put Vaseline and things. So he looks, but like, we're out there and it was, uh-huh. it was so cold and there was no heat in the barn we were shooting in. Everyone no. was such a trooper. Um, From yeah. a process standpoint, I mean, we... So we're shooting in, you know, con- constructed green screens inside giant barns. So it's a totally different environment than your average. And there's no studio spaces. These are not constructed spaces to be used in this way, which is awesome. It's a totally different experience. Yeah. You know, dirt floors. And <laughs> horses are inside. And, you know, it's, it's awesome. But also, we had, like, an unseasonably cold winter. There was no expectation for snow in October. It was it the average temperature should have been 65. Mind. And we, I don't think we broke freezing, like, a single no, day. No, I mean, it was blizzards. <laughs> We were truly like, I, my assistant was with me, Carson, who's yeah. going to see the film for the first time today. today. Um, and, he, you know, it was his first time on a feature set. He was so excited. He loves the script more than anyone I know. Like, he was yeah. like, he's the biggest fan. I can't of wait for him movie. to see I can't it. wait for him to see it. It's and so I, exciting. And we want to, I'll, I'll give an answer to your question too, because I realized I wandered off the, the path. Oh, gosh, pretty I forgot far. the question. I know. To but, for, <laughs> but as far as like getting out, so we've toured, and I've tried to go as often as I can to, to give some context to the film so that yes. they can know what I tried to make and hopefully encourage people to have. You know, what I'll call the David Lynch experience, where you watch this film a third time, and you're like, I right. think I'm starting to get it. Instead of saying, I didn't get it in eight minutes, this must be a bad film. Right. And if I can come there and be friendly and, and try to, to talk people through that, it increases the chances. Yeah. So it makes me wonder how the general release will, will be accepted. But we are right now trying to negotiate some kind of release. It's, it's no secret. It's a terrible market right now for indie films to get out there. Um, and that's being why I said, lo- this had more had multiple offers with money on the table, which, as I, to be honest, is a rarity. It, yeah, as an independent film producer exclusively, like we look at those when you're there, are people who are willing to pay you hard cash. That is a great yeah. situation yeah. to be in, and really to to get the best distribution path for this film. Jeff and I had a couple late night phone calls, and you know he's been really conferring with the other producers a lot. Um, they've agreed to let us kind of split it with a multiple entities rather than just going one way so it's a bit of like a, we're kind of creating our own path which is great and I think it's what's going to be best for the film and that way and hopefully it'll get a little bit of theatrical it'll actually yeah. get physical media it'll get streaming um, and I hope it gets out I mean it's, I love talking to you I'm so excited when people pay attention because we're small enough that the press really really matters for a film like Absolutely. this um, and without it people won't know it exists they won't be willing to take that chance to give it those multiple viewings to think about what we're no. we're trying to do. So, and it will be interesting to see. I think we'll have hopefully we'll get some kind of feedback outside of just like the rotten tomatoes of it all. But um, to see if people who are like, oh, I love David Arquette, you know, yeah. I'm going to watch this. They may not they if they know him from Scream or something. They're yeah. not maybe the audience that understands how to take this in, and those people might not last a few more than a few <laughs> minutes. Um, but I hope that they're fascinated enough that they're like, wait, what am I looking at? <laughs> that I you know that's one of the joys of it. I think it stumps you a little bit and gets you to go, wait, hold on, what? Um, and if we can keep them in that yeah. that questioning space long enough, I think it, the, the, the art of it takes over. Lily's yeah. gonna have a great year because she's you know the lead in the new Scorsese yeah. film that's yeah. premiering at Cannes. Yes. A few weeks, and I hope some of the people that watch that and they're like, "Well, I know who DiCaprio is, I know who De Niro is. Who's this new Lily Gladstone? Yeah. What else is she doing?" And then they watch our film, and they're going to be like, it's "Really different than a Scorsese <laughs> film." And I, I'll be but thrilled for a, that. You yeah, know. you know, Lily's a great horseback rider, yeah. so <laughs> that'll be consistent. We have a great cast, and Nico Case is a little sleeper. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but that was a fun choice, and actually has also brought a lot of really interesting people to the movie. Um, a lot of people that are fans of her music. 
uh, were like, wait, what? Nico Case is in this? She doesn't do this kind of thing. Yeah. Though I did find out from my friend Carrie, who you'll meet later today, yeah. that um, she was like, oh no, Nico was audition- has had audition for the Coen Brothers. Oh yeah, no, she did. Which I didn't know. Yeah, she just yeah, yeah. she did audition. She didn't get that. She one. didn't get it. But no, she and I think was, actually after that she was like, I'm just never going to do it. Yeah. And I think she was like, I'm just never going to do this. And then she just thought she wasn't. Well, she did a great job. And oh, I know. I love her. I, she's she'll fantastic. be back for the sequel. She's she's already. I mean, oh, I Everybody's know, on board amazing. to come back if we get to do her this. Her first interview about it. The first interview about it, she said somebody asked, like, you know, would you ever act again? She was like, oh, I don't know that I could. I think I'll leave it at this good experience, right? And then she saw the movie for the first time. And then she's like, I want to do the And she was like, oh, I am good in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. she is. She's no, fantastic. We were in Minnesota. She was great. She's like, the first time she watched, the, when she acted, she was like, all I was thinking, I mean, I'll just quote her. I don't think she'll mind. Yeah. She's just like, all I was thinking is like, don't shit your pants. Don't shit your pants. <laughs> she was just terrified. And then the first time she watched the movie, she was like, I didn't even know, I couldn't even barely watch the movie because I was just like, am I going to ruin the movie? And then That's by the time she watched Rachel like the second say, or third yeah. time, she was like, oh, wait a minute now. And so it'd be great. I would love to work She's fantastic. She's, she's dreamy. She's I, I, I look for. I mean, unfortunately, I won't be able to attend the screening today, but I, I, I'm very curious to see how the audience reacts here. Me too. There's, yeah. there's a part of me that thinks, this is my fifth year at the festival, there's a part of me that thinks, okay, yeah, they're definitely going <laughs> to vibe with this. Yeah. You know, especially yeah. because of the fact that, I mean, I do think, one of the things I think is most important about this is that, yes, you have the Western ideas, you have the science ideas, but ultimately it's still about the people, it's yes. still about the characters, it's still about connections made between people, and I, I think that's that's ultimately one of the things that I come away strongest with this film. That's it's, fantastic. It, it's still about, I mean, the movie is about those three main characters and their relationship. And, yeah. you know, yeah. one thing I like to tell people is, um, I mean, I like to think just in reality I'm a kind person. And I think that kindness is, is really true. important in the world, and it actually does change the world. And I don't think we get a lot of films that, at their heart, are about kindness. And one of the things I do hope people take away is this is about the kindness and the relationship between Frank and Bruno. And, and Lindy and the three of them and that you can't change the past but what you can do is make better decisions going forward and that friendships do actually matter and interpersonal relationships Absolutely. do matter in the greater universe so I'm, I'm yeah. so glad you saw that because I want people to get, and I even with the, the villains I want people to feel that about you know Colfax and Depew that friendship matters well, they're buddies yeah their buddy friendship is so important yeah. and I think it's also what's really fun um, you know another kind of behind the scenes thing when we got David on board um, I luckily had a relationship with his manager, and we had some good. Fr- he had made a film with a good friend, and so I was able to connect him up to it. And um, that was one of my one of my favorite con- <laughs> my favorite contributions <laughs> that I got to make because I think he really like gives such a super exciting um, performance. But Frank Mosley was already on board to play the other partner, right? And and what's crazy is that um, well, it's not crazy. When, when David signed on, he was also like, hey, can you hire my buddy to play the buddy, right? Because yeah. he's, he's like wrestling bu- buddy that yeah. he'd been working with in his world of wrestling, which is a fascinating world that he is so lovely and has a lot of fun talking about. Um, but unfortunately, we'd already cast the role. But we were like, look, it, you guys are going to be great together. Yeah. And I don't think either of them knew how, how great no, they would they, be until yeah. they were in the room and it was like, oh my God. They no, were electric together. Yeah. Yeah. Frank and David are great. They're just a great duo. They're a great the, the duo. The chemistry works. And, I mean, frankly, frankly, I hope <laughs> that, uh, I really hope I get to make, you know, that part of the sequel because I just want to, I want to spend more time with Colfax Me and too. They're just, yeah. they're just, you know, they're humorous. I mean, David's not even going to say, uh, uh, um, I was going to say, underrated because people already love him. But I think David got his reputation at one point being like kind of a silly, like he's like yeah. a goofy a wild man. man. You know? yeah. But he's, He's got a remarkable grit. He's got a great serious side to himself oh, as an yeah. actor, and I love get it letting him be this role of that of the kind of the straight man in the pairing with Frank, and he's he's so good at it. He's a very sensitive, sweet, warm person, and quite shy in his in his way. And like, it was cool to see him embody this character because it did it did, he did have like a heft, yeah. you know. You really saw like his acting chops. Yeah. I yeah. think. And yeah, it was. Those were some of the most fun things to watch them shoot. It was a blast. I, was, I mean, yeah. the entire cast. I will admit that in in indie cinema, you never have enough time, you never have enough money. 
So you have to learn to accept the compromises where you something happens. You're like, well, it's not exactly what I envisioned, but I'm going to work with it. And this is the first movie in my career where I went through the whole shoot, and I will say that this cast, I mean, I got to work with my cinematic heroes, my musical heroes, so it shouldn't yeah. be a surprise. But I would watch takes, and instead of compromising... I would look at it and say, this is even so much better than what I wrote or envisioned. This cast really, to me, delivered in a way yeah. that I could have never hoped for better. And it was so great to watch David Frank. To watch, Kiowa has a almost supernatural sense of motion. Lily is oh, yeah. just frankly one of the best actors, not of her generation, just of, you know. Period. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> just period. Um, watching all these performances, Alex Cox just fills a room with his crazy monologues. <laughs> um, you know, John Doe singing in that boat literally brought one of our PAs to tears. Like, yeah. When you as the director get to watch that, you're like, they're making me look so much better. It was magical. <laughs> and you feel it. There's a connect, there's a, you know, kinesthetic, is that the word I'm looking for? There's the, there's the, the crackling energy in the room when everyone is elevated by each other's work. I also want to say our crew was amazing and you know when there is so much artwork over the original frame and you know that you're working with a green screen sometimes I think the importance of lighting and, and cinematography can be lost and that that is a mass, massive important piece yeah. of what yeah. this project is like how things are framed is always essential yep. yeah. and what is captured is also the that's like the jumping off point for all of the art so exactly. it's so important and we were really blessed to have I think a very exciting crew put, put together and, and it, um, who were willing to like really stick it out and I'll probably mention this in the Q&A because I think it's a sweet true thing but it, we, it was cold. I mean, I'm not kidding. We were really very not... We were... It was very cold. It wasn't physically comfortable. No, no one was. And, you know, that's not... You, you hate it when you bring actors out. You think, we're not... This is not a big movie. We didn't have comfy trailers for people. We didn't have that kind of thing. We were really, like, dealing with, you know, yeah. this these cold barns and trying to keep people as warm as possible in other spaces. Um, and what was it? His first day on set, maybe? Or second day on set? David Arquette shows up with a carload of, First day. of socks. He went to REI out of his own dollars and bought warm wool socks for the whole entire casting crew. He was really worried about the crew being warm when he found out that we were shooting outside and we were shooting in barns. He wasn't worried about himself. He was worried about the crew. And so it was such a wonderful first day gift to come and bring like the, truly his warmth to the whole team. It was very special. I mean, yeah. Very it, special. I, I may not make any money on this film, but I made a lot of really good friends. Yeah. And I definitely yes. walked away from this one. Every every project is a form of family, but I, I have been truly thankful for the fact that, you know, I get text messages from David. I get text messages yeah. from Nico. I had coffee with John Doe a couple of weeks ago. I talked to, I mean, Frank's already a friend, but I talk to Frank all the time. Kiowa and I are going to co-direct another film coming up. John, you know, became like a brother touring Europe. Like, this is definitely a film where I, I think at least that idea of kindness that we tried to put in the film also spread to the way we made the film. Yeah. And you know, we only get one life, so you've yeah. got to be thankful for those experiences too. And I, I'm, I'm very thankful that the Atlanta Film Festival gave me the opportunity to watch this film. And uh, I, I'm very hopeful that you are able to continue to explore me too. Me too. Because yeah. it's it's such a it's it's such a rich concept. It's such a rich uh, it, it's such a rich film to watch. But it's also such a fun film to watch. That's yeah. the other thing. Yeah. It doesn't. You know. It's like it's very different from Lynch because of the fact that Lynch you're not uncomfortable. <laughs> I love Lynch, but it's yeah. like work at times. Yeah. Yeah. This does not feel like work. This feels. That, that was my hope, is that I That's want people really to nice be to able to experience all those ideas. And, you know, if you ever want a link to watch it a second time, I, I will tell almost 100% of the people who watched it a second time, like, oh, my God, I liked it the first time. I loved it. This, I mean, yeah. the second time it is better because you start to realize all the things that happened in the first act that maybe didn't make sense the first watch. And by the time you you're like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to revisit these moments so you realize why they're happening. Because the film is not in chronological order. You know, it's yeah. all those, those things. But I always tell people, I'm also fine if you just want to get high and go to this weird world. That's okay, too. Like, like that's okay, too. You don't have to understand the physics. You can also just sit there and like, what the fuck? That's okay, also. Uh, you know, I want it to be both of those things. Right. So, so I'm glad you saw both of those things. Anyway. Yeah, it's a ride. It's definitely yeah. a ride. It's a wild ride. And I think, 
Uh, you know, the Atlanta, to, to go back to what you were saying about Atlanta, though, and the audience here, I think it's a key thing. The Atlanta Film Festival has done a really good job for over a decade, I think, of programming really exciting animation. So I do think this is a city, also, you know, a city that housed Adult Swim at, at, and at, certainly at its peak of, of exciting work was doing, like, really boundary-pushing um, animation work. So this is a city that really, I think, understands this kind of animation and uh, a festival that's always been pretty great about bringing it into the fold. So I think we'll have a pretty educated audience, actually. And it's a film city, but it's also a film uh, city that like loves the independent cinema. The plaza is a beautiful place for this. It's a really yeah. perfect fit. So I'm very excited to see We got really lucky. Someone, from someone who don't swim will come today and be like, you should make this a whole series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then people can well, either understand it or get high and hey watch guys, it on TV. That's okay, too. Ask and you shall receive is what I hear. Yeah. So we're going we'll to put out that out into the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, but we do. We want to break this up into a series. Jeff has already done a couple uh, cut-downs of, like, three episodes worth of it. And it, there's so much additional content. There's a ton of footage that didn't make it into the film because these storylines are much richer than you really can put in one sitting. And so it would be an opportunity for even more than what you see in the in the film. And at, having seen the film, you can probably tell how easy it would be to break it up. Yeah. Um, so I think that is already ripe for a full season of, like, yeah. basically, if there's a writer's strike, we would be a fantastic thing to That's program right. because there are no writers. It's written. It's yeah, done. It's done. Um, and the, it yeah, just the IP to be exists. cut down. Yeah. The IP exists. And we already have the scripts for the for the season two and season three. So uh, our cast would certainly come out Let's for Let's get that. that strike happening so I can make this <laughs> No, no, no. No, I know. I'm kidding. No, no. Do not put that. We are, we are pro-writers. We yes, are pro-writers. Yes. We want them to be paid living wages. It is not okay what's happening, especially in the television world. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I do think, you know, there is a world where this could have another life and beyond beyond the cinematic experience, and we would love people to have the opportunity to see it on their TV screens in little pieces and, um, you know, high or not high, we, we want you to come and see That's the movie. That's right. <laughs> come take it in. I, it is a sober, it's a fantastic sober experience. It is. I have never seen it high personally, but I think... I can see that that would be. I think I saw a, a room full of high people watching Montana, and they liked it too. But I mean, I was. <laughs> but I'll just say, I, mean, I think. I, I mean, part of the idea, really, even in the visuals too, is that one of the things that made me love science and love physics is when you look at science, especially quantum physics, which is where you can use math to understand the world, and you understand things about the world that are actually contradictory to your senses, and then you realize those are true. That's like a drug itself. That's like looking into another universe. And you're like, whoa, the world really works like this? I can barely conceive. And then it's that mind-opening thing, just like a psychedelic, but it does a split thing, is now you don't trust your senses, so it's like the carpet gets yanked out of under you. And I, I yeah. hope the film does that a little bit. So you're like, I'm starting to understand things, but now I don't trust what I watched five minutes ago. So in a way, even sober, I like to think, I mean, this sounds like some dumb PSA, but I do like to think that knowledge, that starting to think about science is like its own psychedelic drug. It's what makes science so cool is you're suddenly like, whoa, whole world's way crazier than I thought the world was. Yeah. You know, the natural universe is a crazy drug itself. And, it's and so true. is a trip through cinema. Accessing other parts of your brain that are not regularly accessed yeah. is a high in and of itself. And you could do and that just on a of coffee or whatever like I'm doing right now. <laughs> I know, I'm on cup number two. I'm going to vibrate out of here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, on that note, I might go get a Bloody Mary. Get a Bloody Mary. I, and I'll, I'll talk as long as... I mean, I love talking about the film, so... So, Brian, do you have any questions for me as a producer before I go off and get a, get a drink? I know that... no. I, I said to Jeff already, I'm like, nobody really cares what producers say in these things, <laughs> but I'm here for moral support. No, um, but I mean, honestly... I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but honestly, I feel like I've gotten so much of the... I, I do feel like I've gotten a lot of what went into this film. Yeah. yeah. I, I really do, and that's 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 great. And, um, no, this this was this was such an, such an entertaining film. I, it's, it's such an... But it's also, like, like you said, it's something that really makes you think as well and that I think that's something that really is it's something I've always appreciated in some films and I, I definitely feel that you know when thank you this film, this I, I, I really hope it comes so across much. you know I Alex Cox's films you know things like like Repo Man things like uh, Highway Patrolman that he made 
movies like Pow Wow Highway that Gary Farmer did in the beginning of his career, these these are big influences on this movie. You know, things like David Byrne did with True Stories, things yeah. like, you know, Border Radio, all these movies that I grew up watching that weren't necessarily perfect, but they threw in a world and you start thinking and I both just enjoy and you're like oh, I kind of want to dress like well, that or Jeff, look like that you need that, to give also... like a short list of the like must watch films right to, yeah to understand Th- that this. inspired this project because honestly I actually think that would be really exciting to see and maybe you guys could work on coming up with a little short list yeah that's, and give that would be a cool thing to add but I, I always hope, you know I humbly hope that I added one more film to that canon of movies that someone watches and then it just they're not even sure the first time through, but it sticks with them. Yeah. And a year down the line, they're thinking about it, and they revisit, and then they notice something new. And when a movie's just a punchline, I can enjoy it, but then I don't necessarily need to go back to it. But when a movie is a conversation full of ideas, and you go back to it the fifth time, you're like, oh, maybe that's why I thought this other thing at some point. I, that's why I love cinema, and I hope that I created something that enters that part of cinema that people can have that kind of intimate relationship with where they feel like they dug something out of this and maybe something that other people didn't necessarily catch and that's that's fun that's exciting well and I, I feel like this is the type of film that even if somebody doesn't necessarily see it in its initial release a few years down the road yeah. when they get older maybe they they're Online, or they're looking for something to watch streaming, or they're in a they're in a video yeah. store like Videodrome. Exactly. Yeah. We, we need like, to get it in Videodrome. We do. We do. And we're gonna talk. I'm gonna if, log if, a, if you well, I mean, look, if you have a if you are getting a physical media release, we are. Yeah. Chances are they'll, they'll <laughs> put it in there because. Yeah, well, Factory it's, 25 and Videodrome yeah. need to have a good A good relationship, yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to connect them already, which is definitely one of the partners that we're trying to work yeah. out a deal with. And, hello, hello! But yeah, what I was going to say is, yeah. like, it's, it's that type of movie that a few years down the road, even if you didn't see it when it initially came out, you, you'll see this, you'll look at it, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And you'll have that experience of watching it for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. And, that that I that is what I want because yeah. movies. A lot of my favorite movies I didn't see when they came out. I saw them because they were on a video show with a great box, and I was suddenly like, I recognize one person involved in this. I'm going to watch it, and then you're like, how did this thing exist that I never knew about? Right. And I love that feeling. That's it's like the best feeling in the world. Discovering a band ten years after you should have, but then loving them. It is the best feeling in the world to find these gems that have been floating around that you didn't know were there. Yeah. I, I hope that's the future for this film. I really hope it gets it gets that staying power. I, I want people to see that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do hope that people take a chance on this film. And it's like, I... Because I, it, it's just... It, it's, it's such an interesting idea. It'll make you think about Westerns different. It'll make you think about science fiction different. It, it makes you think about the different styles of animation that we don't see every day in, like, mainstream animation. And it's like, the the one thing that, you know, and the one thing that breaks my heart, I mean, you know, is that as a society, we've so ingrained the idea that animation is for families or for kids that films like this, films like Ralph Batch, yeah. films like other, like Linklater's done, yeah, exactly. he's done animation, it's it's like, those aren't up front, those aren't in the conversation yeah. as much as they should be. I, I totally agree, I mean, you know, I think sadly animation is primarily for kids, and then there's a little bit that's for, like, degenerates, and that's how most people see it. They're like, and I don't even mean degenerates in a pejorative way, but like yeah. like the Ren and Stimpy world. They're like, right. there's this and there's kids. But everyone has sort of erased this middle ground where you can use it to tell adult, not meaning, like, explicit yeah. R-rated, but just adult, exactly. more complicated ideas. And it should be there. It should be part of the... Com- I mean, one of my favorite uh, Miyazaki films is Whisper of the Heart. It's just about a 13-year-old girl growing up in... I mean, it's another film that kind of influenced this. That, like, 
it doesn't have to be it doesn't Spirited Away is great but every Miyazaki film doesn't have to be Spirited Away it can also be yeah. Whisper of the Heart and I, I agree with you it is heartbreaking that people don't you know they don't necessarily explore that and Linkletter's done a great job and it's really cool that a lot of you know we share a lot of animators with some of those films you know Austin based people and I do hope with time it opens the door to say you can do these things yeah they, they should have a home for, for the average film viewer too that just that doesn't think of themselves as a fan of animation they think of themselves as a fan of movies right. and animation could be one of those movies who, who are we, we've already talked about some of the animated filmmakers you've already talked about some of the films that have kind of inspired yeah. this who are some of your uh, filmmakers that when you were first coming up with the idea of making making films who were some of the ones that inspired yeah I mean for sure like you know as a kid growing up in Texas I remember going to Inwood Theater and seeing Slacker like you know Richard Linkletter and the whole team that made that Lee Daniel and everyone else they were definitely an inspiration you know suddenly a movie it wasn't the first movie where people just talked but a movie could be about talking you know that certainly inspired me um like I said earlier, I mentioned, but you know, David Byrne's True Stories is still one of my all-time favorite films. It's this, and that's, he's, I mean, not even really a filmmaker; he's a musician. But this way, text that, me if you need anything. I will be inside, and if also, you're welcome to email me if you have any questions. Like if you're putting things together and you're like, oh, I should ask this, whatever. I'll okay. Excellent. I'll see you in a few minutes. Um, you know, so True Stories was a huge influence, but also like you know, as a kid growing up in the '70s, Star Wars is a giant influence, and obviously, I have westerns. The you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If this of dollars, a few dollars more, you know, those movies are really, you know, a big influence, all the spaghetti westerns, um, on what I was trying to do here, but like I said, so was Persepolis, so was Chittalitavundi, so yeah. was, you know, so I think it really ran, um, a gambit of different things, Border Radio, a great film that deserves a little shout out of this, like, small LA music scene of saying, I'm going to look at this microcosm of the universe. Uh, was an influence on this. Dead Man, Jarmish's film, definitely uh, an influence with, you know, in Powell Highway, you know, Gary Farmer's whole, uh, you know, collection of films. Um, so it really ran the gamut, but I'd also say, when people ask, you know, what films influ- influence this, I'd also say comic books influence this in a certain way, and things like, you know, what James Kochalka does in, like, these really straightforward, crazy reflections of his life in, like, American Elf. That was... That was an influence on this. Music was an influence on this. Um, you know, Hal Gell was a co-writer and an influence, but also the way he creates music that um, defies genre and, and and being able to place it into a box was really an influence on this. And I, I wanted it to be a wholly new experience. So movies that are... Um, uh, Hal Hartley's films, especially the early ones, things like Surviving Desire, things like Simple Man and Trust were definitely an influence on this. Um, and I hope some of those came came through where people watch it and, you know, they'll see the obvious things like some of the westerns and some of the sci-fi and say, you know, oh, there's elements that are similar to something like Time Crimes or these ones that try to suss out the puzzles of time travel. Um, you know, obviously exist in, or time bandits, things like that. But I hope they also see some of the ones they wouldn't expect to be. The side of this that's also slow cinema and makes you hang out with these characters. And you're like, oh, the universe of slow cinema is on this. Yeah. And Stalker's in this. And, you know, so, yeah. So there's a pretty wild, like, it's a gambit of films. Yeah. That, you know, that it doesn't have to look like those films to influence it, but the way they explore ideas, I hope that, I hope that, that comes across. It, you know, and certainly, like, the French New Wave. You know, there's Godard in this. There's yeah. Alphaville in this. There's, <laughs> you know, that stuff is there. And, you know, and then, of course, it's not a coincidence that Anna Corinne is in it, you know, because Alphaville is in it. And yeah. I hope that people see those things, too. Okay. Well, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this, I mean, that, that just speaks to just how rich an experience I think this movie is and it, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure likewise I, I as a filmmaker you hope people get some of what you're trying to do and you obviously did and it's, so it's thank you I mean honestly it's a privilege to me to get to talk to someone about what we tried to do and have them appreciate and see that um, yeah. so you know I, I also feel like that's always film journalists don't get the especially film journalists who seek out films like this and don't just cover whatever A24 is releasing, which is fine, but like it's easy to go and just join 
the crowd and people loving a film. Oh, I, yeah. I'm so excited when people like you bother to talk to us about this film. So thank you. I mean, you know, it's 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 funny because of the fact that I mean, I you know, it's like obviously when I start writing about films, naturally you go main, mainly towards the the big ones, yeah, the, the ones because that's that, what people want to read about. <laughs> well, it's yeah. the ones that, re- and that's also what's yeah. going to drive people to to the side of what yeah. you want to say. Yep. And then you know, I I started to, and then I started to get emails from filmmakers and it's like hey I've got this film are you interested in watching this and it's like sure that's fine I'll just take a chance on it and that just became such a rich experience for me just opened up something completely different and I that it was exciting to be able to do that and so I think that's part of why I've I've well, yes, of course, I do still cover a lot of the bigger movies yeah. and review some of the bigger movies. It's like, that's why I love taking chances on movies like this. Yeah. And that's why I love about the Atlanta Film Festival because of the fact that it's like, yeah, it's like they'll occasionally have movies from like A24 and Focus yeah. and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like they're also going to have movies that you that don't have distribution see. yet. Yeah, yeah that this could be your only chance to watch. I mean, heck, I loved watching uh, Hello Dankness the other night. And like, <laughs> that movie's not going to get released. There's no, you could never clear all those films. And it's so, so I agree. You know, yeah. three cheers for Atlanta for putting that on the movie screen and giving me the chance to watch it. But yeah, it has been, it's been a pleasure to talk to you guys. And uh... I'd like to thank Jeff and Melody for joining me on the podcast and for giving so much of their time. Uh, before the premiere of their film at the festival. And this is one that I think is probably one of my favorites of the festival. I just have really enjoyed exploring and contemplating the ideas as well as the images in it. And one of the things you'll see as far as the interviews that I've done this year for the film festival is that all of them are basically devoted to genre films. And that is something that is kind of unique for the Atlanta Film Festival. This year, there were a lot of genre films, but one of the things I mentioned in the interview and one of the things I appreciated just in general was how all of those genre films basically felt of a piece with what the film festival is in terms of human connections as far as empathy towards others. And this this was one of my favorite examples of that. And I hope you check it out in the future. That's going to be it for this episode of the podcast. I've got a few more interviews to share as well as my wrap-up podcast. And I hope you enjoy listening to all of them. There were some great conversations at the film festival this year, and some great films. I can't wait to talk more about them. Uh, Thank you very much for joining me, as always, for the Sonic Cinema Podcast, and you can check us out, as always, at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you.